0: chapter 17 of the fortunate foundings by eliza haywood this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by helen taylor chapter 17 horatio arrives at warsaw sees the coronation of stanislaus and his queen his reception from the king of sweden his promotion follows that prince in all his conquests through poland lithuania and saxony the story of count patkul and madame d'ansilden while these things were transacting in italy horatio animated by love and glory was pursuing his journey to poland his impatience was so great that he travelled almost night and day already imitating the example of the master he was going to serve no wood no river was impassable to him that shortened the distance to the place he so much longed to approach and thus by inuring himself to hardship became fitly qualified to bear his part in all the vast fatigues to which that prince incessantly exposed his royal person not a city town or even village be puffed through but echoed with the wonders performed by the young king of sweden new victories new acquisitions met him wherever he came all tongues were full of his praises and even those who had been ruined by his conquests could not help speaking of him with admiration horatio heard all this with pleasure but mixed with a kind of pain that he was not present at these great actions how glorious is it cried he to himself to fight under the banners of this invincible monarch what immortal honour hath not every private man acquired who contributed the least part to successes that astonish the whole world But notwithstanding his eagerness, which carried him through marshes, over mountains, and ways which to an ordinary traveller would have seemed impassable, he met with several delays in his journey, especially when he got into Germany, where they were extremely scrupulous, and he was obliged to wait at some towns two or three days before he could obtain passports. He also met several parties of flying horse and dragoons, who were scouting about the country as he drew nearer Saxony, but his policy furnished him with stratagems to get over these difficulties and he got safe to punitz in the palatinate of posnania where a great part of the king of sweden's army was encamped he immediately demanded to be brought to the presence of the grand marshal Renschild, to whom he delivered the letter of the baron de la valliere and found the good effects of it by the civilities with which that great general vouchsafed to treat him he would have had him stay with him But Horatio, knowing the king was at Warsaw, was too impatient of seeing that monarch to be prevailed upon, on which he sent a party of horse to escort him to that city. He had the good fortune to arrive on the very day that Stanislaus and his queen were crowned, and was witness of part of the ceremony. The king of Sweden was there incognito, and being shown to Horatio, he could not forbear testifying his surprise to see so great a prince and one who in every action of his life discovered a magnanimity even above his rank, habited in a manner not to be distinguished from a private man. But it was not in the power of any garb to take from him a look of majesty, which showed him born to command not only his own subjects, but kings themselves, when they presumed to become his enemies. There was a fierceness in his eyes, but tempered with so much sweetness, that it was impossible for those who most trembled at his frowns to avoid loving him at the same time. Stanislaus had in him all that could attract respect and good wishes, besides the most graceful person that can be imagined, and he had a certain air of grandeur, joined with an openness of behaviour that showed him equally incapable of doing a mean or dishonourable action his queen was one of the greatest beauties of her time and every one present at their coronation confessed that never any two persons more became a throne or were more worthy of the dignity conferred upon them the whole court was too much taken up that day for horatio to think of presenting himself before the king of sweden but the officer who commanded the party that general Renchild had sent with him introduced him in the evening to count Horn, governor of warsaw who provided him with an apartment and the next morning introduced him to count piper that minister no sooner read the baron de palfoy's letter and heard he had others to deliver to the king from the chevalier st george and the queen dowager of england that he treated them with the utmost marks of esteem and assured him that since he had an inclination to serve his majesty he would contribute everything in his power to make him not repent the long fatigues he had undergone for that purpose. But, said he with a smile, you will have no need of me. You bring, I perceive, recommendations more effectual, and have besides in yourself sufficient to engage all you have to wish from a monarch so just and generous as ours. Horatio replied to this compliment with all humility, and as the Count perceived by his accents that he was not a Frenchman, though he spoke the language perfectly well, he asked of him what country he was to which horatio replied that he was of england but made him no farther acquainted with his affairs nor that the motive of his having remained so long in france was because he was not ransomed by his friends not that he concealed this out of pride but he knew the character of most first ministers and thought it not prudence to unbosom himself to one of those whose first study when they come into that employment is to discover as much as they can of others without revealing anything of themselves for this reason he was also very sparing of entering into any discourse of the chevalier's court or of that of the king of france and answered all the questions put to him by the count that his youth and being of foreign extraction hindered him from being let into any secrets of state after a pretty long conversation the count led him to the king of sweden's apartment where just as they were about to enter he asked him if he could speak latin for said he though his majesty understands french he never could be brought to speak it nor is pleased to be addressed in that language horatio thanked him for this information and told him that though he could not boast of being able to deliver himself with an affluence becoming the presence of so great a prince yet he would choose rather to show his bad learning than his want of ambition to do everything that might render himself acceptable as he spoke these words he found himself in his presence the king was encompassed by the officers of the army to whom he was giving some directions but seeing count piper and a stranger with him he left off what he was saying and without giving him time to speak cried count who have you brought me here one may it please your majesty replied he who brings his credentials with him and has no need of my intercession to engage his welcome while the count was making this reply the king who had an uncommon quickness in his eyes measured horatio from head to foot and our young soldier of fortune without being daunted put one knee to the ground and delivered his packet with these words the princes by whom i have the honour to be sent commanded me to assure your majesty That they participate in all your dangers, rejoice in all your glories, and pray that as you only conquer for the good of others, the sword you draw in the cause of justice may at last be sheathed in a lasting and universal peace. I am afraid it will be long before all that is necessary for that purpose is accomplished, said the king. Wrong, when established, not easily gives place to right, but we are yet young enough to hope it. He broke open his letters as he spoke this, and while he was examining them took his eye off the paper several times to look on Horatio, and then read again. When he had done, I am much obliged, said he, to the zeal these letters tell me you have expressed for my service, and shall not be ungrateful. We are here idle at present, but shall not long be so, and you will have occasions enough to prove your courage and gratify that love of arms which my brother informs me is the predominant passion of your soul after this he asked him several questions concerning the chevalier st george the queen and princess louisa to which horatio answered with great propriety but mingled with such encomiums of the royal persons as testified his gratitude for the favours he received from them but when he mentioned the princess and delivered the message she sent by him a more lively colour flushed into the king's cheeks and he replied well we shall do all we can to comply with her commands then turned quick about and resumed the discourse he was in before horatio's entrance with his officers as much as to say the business of his love must not interrupt that of war and horatio had afterwards the opportunity of observing that though he often looked upon the picture of that amiable princess which he always wore in his bosom, yet he would on a sudden snatch his eyes away, as fearing to be too much softened. Horatio was ordered to be lodged in the castle where the garrison was kept, but he was every day at the king's levee, and received the most extraordinary marks of his favour and affection, for which, as he looked upon himself entirely indebted to the recommendations of his friends in France, he wrote letters of thanks, and an account of all that had happened to him poland now being entirely subdued by the valour and fortune of charles the twelfth and having received a king of his nomination submitted cheerfully glad to see an end of devastation as they then flattered themselves but the troubles of that unfortunate kingdom were yet to endure much longer augustus impatient of recovering what he had lost and the czar of muscovy jealous and envious of the king of sweden's glory came pouring with mighty armies from saxony and russia schulenberg the general of the former had passed the ode and the other at the head of a numerous body was plundering all that came in his way and putting to the sword every one whom he even suspected of adhering to king stanislaus so that nothing now was talked of but war and the means concerted how to put a stop to the miseries these two ambitious princes made not only in that country but all the adjacent parts it was agreed that general renchild should go to meet schulenberg and the two kings drive out the muscovites who being divided into several parties stanislaus went at the head of one army and the king of sweden led another and taking different routes had every day what he called skirmishes but what the vanquished looked upon as terrible battles the king of sweden before their departure from warsaw told horatio that all his officers were gallant men and it was not his custom to displace any one for mere favour to another he must therefore wait till the fate of war or some other accident made a vacancy before he could give him a commission in the meantime said he with a great deal of sweetness you must be content to be only my aide-de-camp on this horatio replied to his majesty With as much politeness as sincerity, that it was the post he wished, though dare not presume to ask, for he looked upon the honour of being near and receiving the commands of so excellent a monarch preferable to the highest commission in the army. Thus, highly contented with his lot, did he attend the king through rivers, lakes, marines, and all the obstacles nature had thrown in the way of this conqueror, and whenever they came to any battle, was so swift in bearing his commands to the general, and in returning to him in which line soever he was, that Poniatowski gave him the name of the Mercury to their Jove. Nor did he less signalise his valour. He fought by the side of the king like one who valued not life in competition with the praises of his master. In an engagement where they took the baggage of Augustus, he did extraordinary service, and a colonel, then being killed on the spot, the king presently cried out, now here is a regiment for my horatio our young warrior thanked him on his knees but beseeched he might not be removed from him again protesting that he could nowhere deserve so well as where he was animated by his royal presence this charles the twelfth took very kindly and told him he should have his desire but said he i must also have mine i will continue you my aide-de-camp but you shall accept the commission, and the lieutenant-colonel shall command your regiment in your absence. He also allotted him so large a share in the prize taken in this battle, that Horatio was already become rich enough to avow his pretensions to the daughter of the baron de Palfoy. But, dear as she was to him, his love and admiration of the King of Sweden, joined to the ambition of desiring still more than he had received, kept him from entertaining the least desire of quitting the service he was in in eight or nine weeks did the two kings clear the country round and drove their enemies into the heart of lithuania as they were about to return they were met by the welcome news that general Renschild had been no less successful and entirely routed the whole army of schulenberg and also that the diet of ratisbon fearing the king of sweden would enter germany had come to a resolution to declare him an enemy to the empire in case he offered to pass the Oder with his army they could not have taken a more effectual step to bring on what they dreaded than by daring him to it by this menace he took but little time for consideration before he determined to carry the war into saxony and drive augustus from his electorate as he had done from his kingdom he had no sooner made known his resolution then the troops began to march and with a cheerfulness and alacrity which showed they had no will but that of their king indeed he seemed the soul of this mighty body of which every single man was a member and actuated only by him it is certain his heart was set on establishing stanislaus on the throne and he knew no better way of preventing augustus from molesting him than by calling off all communication between his electorate and poland accordingly he bent his course to saxony marched through silesia and lusatia plundered the open country laid the rich city of Leipzig and other towns under contribution and at length encamped to alrenstadt near the plains of lutzen whence he sent to the estates of saxony to give him an estimate of what they could supply and obliged them to levy whatever sums he had occasion for not that he had the least spark of avarice in his nature but his hatred to augustus who had by this injustice made him become his enemy was so great that it extended to all those of his country so far as to humble and impoverish the once opulent inhabitants making them not only support his numerous army but laid on them besides many unnecessary imposts which he divided among his soldiers so that they were all clothed in gold and silver and every private man had the appearance of a general the king himself still preferring his usual plainness but he loved he said to see the saxon riches upon swedish backs horatio now had a second opportunity of writing to france which he did not fail to do and as there was no talk of the army decamping for some time let his friends know he hoped to hear from them at olronstadt Augustus, in the meantime deprived of everything, and a wanderer in that kingdom where he had lately reigned, sent a mean submission to him, entreating peace, and that he might have leave to return to his electorate. This was granted by the conqueror on condition he would renounce for ever all thoughts of re-entering Poland or giving any disturbance to Stanislaus. but as the treaty was going to be signed the czar sent an army of twenty thousand men to his relief who defeated general Meyerfield, whom the king had left to guard that kingdom and the dethroned monarch once more entered warsaw the capital of poland in triumph charles was so exasperated when he received this intelligence that he gave immediate orders to decamp resolving he should not long enjoy the benefit of his breach of faith but the pusillanimity of augustus prevented him that prince was afraid the tsar should discover the peace he had been secretly negotiating and withdraw his troops and as he had neither any of his own nor money to assist him he sent the articles demanded of him by the king of sweden signed with his own hand and sent out to alrenstadt hoping by his presence and persuasions to mollify his indignation and be permitted to enjoy his own saxony in peace what more could the utmost ambition of man require than the king of sweden now received to see a prince so lately his equal and inveterate enemy come to solicit favour of him in his camp almost at his feet but whatever were his sentiments on this occasion he concealed them and though he could not but despise such an act of meanness he treated him with the utmost politeness though without making any abatement of the demands he had exacted from him on the contrary he insisted on his delivering up to him general patkel ambassador from the czar who at that time was a prisoner in saxony being determined to put him to death as a traitor having been born his subject and now entered into the service of his sworn enemy augustus beseeched him in the most abject manner to relinquish this one point and remonstrated to him that the Tsar, his present master, would look on it as the utmost indignity offered to himself in the person of his ambassador. He assured him he hated Patkul, but feared that giving him up would be resented by all the princes of Europe. All he could urge on this head was to no effect. The King of Sweden was not to be moved from any resolution he had once made, and the unfortunate Patkul was sent to Alrenstadt and chained to a stake for three whole months, and afterwards conducted to Casimir, where he was to receive his sentence. Horatio, who was an entire stranger to the motive of this behaviour in the king, and had never seen anything before in him that looked like a cruel disposition, was one day mentioning his surprise at it to a young officer, with whom he had contracted a great intimacy, on which he gave him the following account this Patkul said he is a livonian born which though a free country is part of the dominions annexed to the crown of sweden charles the eleventh began to introduce a more absolute form of government than was consistent with the humour of that people his son has been far from receding in that point and Patkul, being a person of great consideration among them stood up for their liberties in a manner which our king could not forgive he ordered him to be seized but he made his escape and was proscribed to sweden on which he entered into the service of king augustus and was made his general but on some misunderstanding between him and the chancellor he quitted poland and went to russia where he got into great favour with the czar was highly promoted and sent his residentiary ambassador in saxony augustus whose fate it has been to disoblige everybody on some pretence clapped into prison the representative of his only friend, and now, we see, has given him up to death to satiate the demands of his greatest enemy.' Horatio could not keep himself from falling into a deep musing at the recital of this adventure. He thought Patkul worthy of compassion, yet found reasons to justify the king's resentment, and as this officer had often disburdened himself to him with the greatest freedom, he had no reserve towards him, and this led him into a discourse on arbitrary power. Horatio said that he could not help believing that nature never intended millions to be subjected to the despotic will of one person, and that a limited government was the most conformable to reason. The officer agreed with him in that, except the person who ruled had really more perfections than all those he ruled over, and if so, said he, and his commands are always calculated for the happiness of the subject, they cannot be more happy than in an implicit obedience true replied horatia i am confident that such a prince as ours knows how to choose for his people much better than they do for themselves but how can they be certain that his descendants will have the same virtues and when once an absolute power is granted to a good prince it will be in vain that the people will endeavour to wrest it from the hands of a bad one never can any point be redeemed from the crown without a vast effusion of blood and the endangering such calamities on the country that the relief would be as bad as the disease upon the whole therefore i cannot think patkel in the wrong for attempting to maintain the liberty of his country though i do for entering into the service of the avowed enemy of his master it is that i believe resumed the other that the king chiefly resents His Majesty is too just to condemn a man for maintaining the principles he was bred in, however they may disagree with his own. But to become his enemy, to enlist himself in the service of those who aim at the destruction of his lawful prince, is certainly a treason of the blackest dye. As they were in this discourse, Colonel Poniatowski came in, and hearing they were speaking of Patkul, I have just now, said he, received a letter from one of my friends in Saxony concerning that general which deeply affects me, not for his own, but for the sake of a lady, to whom after a long series of disappointments he was just going to be married, when Augustus, against the law of nations, made him a prisoner. I will relate the whole adventure to you, continued he, on which the others assuring him they should think themselves obliged to him, he went on. When he first entered into the service of Augustus, he became passionately in love with Madame D'Arnsilden, a young lady whose beauty birth and fortune rendered her worthy the affections of a man of more honour than he had testified in his public capacity her friends at least thought so and chancellor fleming making his addresses to her at the same time had the advantage in everything, but in her heart there Patkull triumphed in spite of all objections and though king augustus vouchsafed himself to solicit in behalf of his favourite her constancy remained unshaken as a rock which so incensed a monarch haughty and imperious in his nature before humbled by our glorious charles that he made use of his authority and forbid her to think of marrying any other to which she resolutely answered that she knew no right princes had to interfere with the marriages of private persons but since his majesty commanded it she would endeavour to obey and live single this not satisfying the king He hated Patkul from that moment, and the rivals soon after meeting in Madame d'Ansilden's apartment, some hot words arose between them, which being by Fleming reported to his master, he sent in the moment of his passion to require Patkul to resign his office of general. He did so, but with a murmur that was far from abating the royal resentments, and he had then ordered him into confinement, but that private intelligence being given him he made his escape before the officers commissioned for that purpose reached his house he then went to the tsar who knowing him an experienced general of which at that time he stood greatly in need gladly received him and it was there he first merited the hate of all good men by countenancing and abetting those ambitious projects his new master was then forming against the king of sweden but see the fate of treason he persuaded him to enter into an alliance with poland and saxony against sweden which laid the foundation of this unjust war and for which augustus has so dearly paid and being sent ambassador in order to negotiate these affairs again renewed those of his love augustus now obliged to the czar for the preservation of his dominions durst not openly espouse chancellor fleming but no sooner heard that the marriage was near being completed than he ventured everything to prevent it, and, under a pretence of his own forging, confined Patkul in the castle of Konesting, where he lay a considerable time, the Tsar being too much taken up with combating the fortune of our victorious king to examine into this affair, and besides unwilling to break with Augustus as things then stood. Madame d'Ansilden did all this time whatever could be expected from a sincere affection in order to procure his enlargement, but the interest of her friends, at least of those who would be employed in this intercession, were infinitely too weak to oppose that of Fleming and the king's own inclination, so that he remained a prisoner without being permitted either to write to Madame d'Ansilden or see her, till the time of his being delivered into our hands." but on hearing he was so my friend informs me her great spirit which till now had made her support her misfortune without discovering to the world any part of the agonies she sustained in an instant quite forsook her she abandoned herself to despair and grief equally exclaiming against the czar augustus and charles the twelfth has ever since shut herself up in her apartment which she has caused to be hung with black the windows closed and no light but what a small lamp affords and only adds more horror to the melancholy scene she weeps incessantly and as she expects her lover will obtain no mercy declares she only waits till she hears the sentence of his fate is given to die if possible at the same moment of his execution i must confess continued Poniatowski, the history of this lady's sufferings touch me very much and though i think her lover well worthy of the death he will undoubtedly receive could wish some unexpected chance might once more set him free and in a condition to recompense so tender a passion which augustus has now no longer any power to oppose horatio had a heart too tender and too sensible of the woes of love not to be greatly affected with this passage and as they all were young and probably had each of them a lady to whom their affections were given, could not help sympathising in the misfortunes of two persons who seemed to have fallen into them merely by the sincere attachment they had for each other. End of chapter 17